0: On this week's Talking with Topher.
1: It's recovery from anything. It could be attachments, it could be people-pleasing, it could be emotions, it could be just in an injury you had. It could be recovery from that. Whoa, I'm really getting real-time study of um, the results of cold showers, but then I started learning, like, it's okay to start the shower warm and then end it cold. And
0: now let's get into episode 175. What's happening, TWT fans? It is so good to be back on this August 10th, 2023. And of course, I'm always so glad to have you all here with me. Um, Real quick, before we get into anything, because I have an amazing podcast for all of you out there. I have no other words to use except for an amazing, just, man, it was so good. It was so good. And it was so good that I have to get this out of the way so we can get into it today um thank you i want to say thank you to all my subscribers welcome and thank you to the new subscribers and if you are new and stopping by or maybe somebody sent you that link tree and sent you here to me well then go ahead and click that subscribe button of course if you want to get more involved with the podcast, you want your opportunity to be a guest or tell your story, T-A-L-K-I-N at at gmail.com, the official email of the podcast. All right. So go ahead and do that. And like I said, it is time for another uh, great uh, conversation. Um, this man is doing amazing things. He's talking to amazing people. And... I want everybody, even though we talk about it, go and check out Jesse Harless's uh, uh, YouTube account. Uh, you can also find him on Spotify. He's also on iTunes. Um, go subscribe. This is great, great content. Um, but instead of me rambling on and on and on today, let's just get into the episode with my guest, Jesse Harless. All right, so I am here with Jesse Harless, how are you doing, man? Thank you for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you on as a guest. Um, You're doing some great stuff, and you uh, please plug and promote anything you want at this moment in time and i realized i didn't take my sandals
1: off so i need to get my sandals off because i I like bare feet (laughs) oh you do do that first to start out yeah i mean every day i I do grounding every single morning do you so i uh it's part of the morning practice so i want to take these sandals off and uh yeah so it's an honor to be here chris i'm I'm really excited to be on the (laughs) show with you and i just was like oh i gotta get i gotta get barefooted
0: that's fine absolutely what do you what do you want to plug and promote I know you got some stuff coming up. You got your yep. podcast that's out right now, Entrepreneurs in Recovery, I believe it's called. Yep,
1: Entrepreneurs in Recovery. Um, that's that's what I promote is the podcast. So anyone who wants to listen, because people are probably asking, well, I'm not a recovery. I didn't go to, I'm not an AA or the stuff. That's not what the podcast is about. It's recovery from anything. It could be attachments. It could be, People pleasing, it could be emotions, it could be just in an injury you had, it could be recovery from that. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur either to listen because I believe that we all inside of ourselves have uh, this internal uh, freedom that we all want, and entrepreneurship represents freedom. And so uh, Entrepreneurs Recovery is just that that idea of like being free. And along the way, we build attachments and sometimes injuries and addictions and different things that can hold us back. And we might not be uh, cognizant or, or aware of it. So the show is bringing on guests to just get real deep into holistic health, real deep into different views of addiction, real deep into business, real deep into... Uh, psychedelic medicines anything that's really emerging that if we're not talking about it we're living under a rock we gotta see like this is what's coming down the pipe how are we gonna look at it instead of like hiding from it so i'm i'm just bringing a lot of voices that i've met over the years
0: that is absolutely incredible i have to say that i've listened to two of your episodes and uh, i i i loved it i absolutely did love it and uh We'll definitely be showing a clip of that later in the episode, um, so people can get a feel for what it's it's gonna be like. Um, I I listened, I loved it, and uh, it's 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 just incredible. But when you, uh, where where did you where did you grow up? I want to get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, so
1: I grew up in Lowell, Massachusetts. Oh, okay, um, I was born in Lawrence and nice. uh, grew up in Lowell and. Um. Yeah. This, there's a whole bunch of backstory. I don't know how deep you want me to go. Yeah, but Go as
0: deep as you want, dude. Yeah. I Absolutely. Mean,
1: b- born in Lawrence at Lawrence General Hospital, and then, um, you know, my dad was someone who was trying to get sober, and okay. he was, um, uh, unsuccessful with that, and so he, you know, we got into cocaine and alcohol very heavily, and lost his job at the post office when I was about three years old, and my mom kicked him out. And then next thing you know, and and we had, they had bought a house in Salem, New Hampshire. So I lived in Salem for a little bit, but then when he really like dove deep into drugs and alcohol, you know, he had to go. And then, um, he was in a car accident that, uh, caused permanent brain damage. He was in a coma for 22 days and he, um, you know, he was never the same after that. So I lost my dad essentially at three, he was gone. Oh, wow. And then that's when we started moving. We moved to Lawrence then we moved next to Lawrence high school, which was a really, um, I wish I had my mom on to tell this part, but we moved next to Lawrence high school and my brother, my middle brother got his life threatened with a gun. So we oh. moved to Lowell and we stayed in <laughs>
0: Lowell from, uh, uh, from when I was eight to 18. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So, so do, uh, and where do you you living you live in the New Hampshire you, you live in New Hampshire now?
1: I live in yeah, I live in New Hampshire. I live in Concord now. Oh,
0: Concord. Yeah. Okay, that see I was right. Okay. I was trying to remember. And my wife's like, "Where is he from?" and I was like, "I think Concord, but I wasn't sure." Um, that's a nice little area. I lived up there in Penacook for about yeah. 5 or 6 years. Nice. Um, but yeah, so I basically live in Penacook. Yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah.
1: It's, it says Concord, but Pennekouk is right across.
0: It street. is, yeah, yeah. Exit seventeen. It's fun. It's uh, it's so funny because like uh, they kind of consider themselves kind of part of Concord, mm-hmm. but yeah, you you say Concord and people are like, no, I'm from Pennekouk, and it's like almost the same same around there. It's weird, um, but yeah. So I actually uh, when I when I lived up there, um, I, I fired my gun off in public. Um, so that was that was uh, whoops. Basically, uh, the the end of me living in that area because uh, right after that I was I was in jail mm. I was you know and I I wasn't working on my addiction at that time but mm. um, yeah I fired off a forty cal wow. uh, right on um, shit I can't remember the street but um, at the time my girlfriend was chasing me with her car and I was mm. on a bicycle and I was all drunk and wow. I told her to stay away from me and I friggin pulled my gun out of my backpack and Jeez. I, I pointed it at the windshield at the time. And then, uh, something in my brain said, uh, just, just fire it off into the sky. Mm. That way, you know, you scare her. Yeah. And so I popped two rounds off wow. and then you, I, I looked over and the, the, there was people in the gas station over there and mm. they all fucking head swiveled. And oh, yeah. I friggin ended up going back. I got into my apartment and I cleaned out the whole gun put it all back up, put it back in its lockbox, and I forgot my brass knuckles were in the back pocket. I walked out of my stoop with my bag, and all of a sudden there was just, like, seven guys with shotguns and full SWAT gear, Mm. and they asked me my name, and I go, they go, what's your name? And I'm like, Christopher, and they're like, what's your last name? And I'm like, "Conderman." They're like, get the fuck on the ground now. And I was like, ah, you know. I've had that
1: happen before. You have? Not in that way where I pulled a gun, but I've had that, you know, Get the fuck Re- on the ground. I've had that
0: happen. Really? Yeah. And what was that experience for you like? Um, very scary
1: because I was in my active addiction. and I was living oh. in Orlando, Florida. Okay. And uh, Ooh, I, was, I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, which was I was going to uh, gas stations on Orange Blossom Trail, these like on the, on the bad parts of Orange Blossom Trail in Orlando. And I was just seeking out a Fedra or something that I could, we could yeah. get high. And I pulled to a back of a gas station and this dude on a bike showed up selling crack and when I pulled out the, the police or the SWAT, whatever they were, AT, I don't know, it was a crazy thing. I came out and we went to the next gas station and <clears throat> all of a sudden the same thing, all seven cruisers get the fuck out of the car. Oh like, my God. I thought I had bought crack. And then the guy literally said, we didn't buy any of that. So we had nothing. There was nothing. They, we didn't get arrested, but they were like, you know, they were yelling in my face. Like right. that guy would have shot you in the face and took your car. Like, don't ever come back to this neighborhood. I'm like, I live right down the street. They're like, don't ever come back to this neighborhood. So, yeah. What? I, anyways, you just reminded me. Of that's
0: so wild. How are was... you not supposed to go back to a neighborhood you live in? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. What? Well, that's what it's like when you're in active addiction, too. Yes. Like, when I was yes. in that phase of like the drugs and alcohol at 21, I escaped a very serious opioid addiction that I had in New Hampshire to move to Florida to change my life and turn it around. And I literally was the same person when I got to Florida. And, um, you know, it was really, uh, it was about to all explode. It was about to all blow up in my face.
0: So, so let's dig into that a little bit because, uh, I always talk about my addiction on this podcast. So a lot of people already know, um, my struggle was always with alcohol. Um, I never got into hard drugs, uh, heroin. I've tried, I tried them all. I'm not going to say I didn't try them all, but back then, you could try things and it was okay because you were just trying that actual drug. Today, I don't recommend anybody try anything without some type of a test kit or Mm -hmm. maybe just stay away from from it, period, today. It's just too dangerous with the fentanyl. But you being in New Hampshire and having an opioid addiction, what was was it opioids? Was it oxys? Was it any of the above? Like, what was it for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I
1: always say, like, My first addiction was fantasy. That was my first addiction. So like when my dad left, you know, part of me, part of in my body thought I was responsible for that. You know, there was some part of me that that uh, that abandonment wound was going to be there. It was Mm going to stay. It's still there today. It's just it's just not as loud. Yeah. And so I used to just get lost in the world of Internet pornography and get lost in the world of uh, online games when they just started to become um, uh, popular. And, you know, I just kind of numbed out with that during high school. And so I wasn't really into drugs and alcohol much in high school. But as soon as I went to Plymouth State University, uh, that first semester, I started to experiment with alcohol and then cannabis. And then and then it became like, even like psychedelics, but I was doing it in a way that was completely unsafe and okay. didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah, And um, yeah, so that kind of all blew up in my face. And... I flunked out of school, I flunked out of college, and then moved in with my mom and basically got a job at Staples. And but I immediately attracted what I you attract what you are. Yep. So I attracted someone who was working in one of the departments at Staples who was you know getting high and doing all these things and linked up with him and then started finding all these different sources of um, you know uh, drugs and nothing like super hard yet. And then at twenty uh, about year and a half later, my father passed away. Now, we uh, didn't have a connection when he left at 3 all the way till he died at 20. We talked three times. He had brain damage. So we only talked on the phone, and we had no relationship. So okay. when he died, though, I had this like, like – I had a part of me be like I – I was so hurt. I was like I, – I didn't think I'd even be hurt by it, but I was like, I don't care about anything anymore. I don't care if I live or die. Uh, and so that's when I – that night he died was the first night I used cocaine for the first time. And wow. that was the first time where I felt love for the first time. Literally the Ooh. first time I ever felt what love was as a, a, a felt sense was when I did my first line of cocaine and, really? and that I describe in that way. Cause that's what it was like for me. And so from that moment on, I chased that and then I chased that right into Florida, right into that story I was telling. And there was a lot of, a lot of shit shows and jackpots that happened between
0: 20 and 22 when I get arrested and the whole game stopped. Everything stopped. Wow, yeah. Addiction is a monster. It's a monster that we're we're always, I feel like I'm always going to be battling it. Yeah. You know, I've always got that dark demon in the back of me going, hey, you know, when things get tough, you could always revert back to this because it's easy. And it's like, I have to convince myself not to go down that road and be like, no, 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 I just got to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, uh, lately uh, a lot of things have been happening, um, whether it's with the house or my car or this or that. and it's just like I, I, I now feel this I don't I don't really feel depressed like I've had depression in the past and I understand what depression is. but it's not like it was. It's more I feel deflated you know recently today. I, I can't really call it a depression because I'm just like, I'm just getting upset that these negative things are happening, mm-hmm. even though I, I I got my house problem fixed, even though I got this fixed, and I can, you know what I mean. But I, I just felt like deflated from it. Yeah, and that's when those those the, the the brain starts telling me, hey, 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 you know, we can just we can go back to this. It's be easy, and mm-hmm. you can kind of forget about it. But mm-hmm. I know in the long run, all that does is uh, compress it and yeah. make it worse. Yeah, and
1: I want to normalize it. Like this, that's a, a, a feeling everyone has. Yes. You know? So a lot of times we put ourselves in these categories of addicts, and I'll never change. And this is, the, but it's not true because every person at some level has that. Every every person at some level has this, this inkling to numb out. And it could be because they yelled at their kids. It could be because they've been people pleasing and not telling their mom the truth. And and, and these things are we find ways to numb those out. And we do them sometimes with our mind. We can do that with our mind, with with our thoughts and thinking. We can cause anxiety and depression to come on to kind of be an addiction in some ways to not have to feel the truth, yeah. to get to the truth. Or we can use food. We can use social media. We can use masturbation. We can use pornography. Yeah, There's so many different ways. So I just kind of want to normalize that because that's what's happening. And when you really get to talk to uh, people like I have over the, the years of – I'm you know, coming up on 18 years of this journey of figuring out what is addiction, what is recovery, what is trauma. And I'm really realizing that like, we need to stop stigmatizing this thing, that it's only to one group of people or six groups of people. Yes. It's everybody. It's a human condition. We're addicted to the programming of the world. We're addicted to the news that we're fed every single day. And so when we start to peel away those layers, it really is the disruption. And what do we do? Go right back to numbing out in whatever way that is. It could be with the news. Right. So I just want to kind of normalize that for people who are kind of like, I'm hopeless. It's only who's going to be like this. I'm going to relapse. This is like, well, what is a relapse? I mean, right. there's, you know, and for some, yes, especially in New Hampshire being smashed by fentanyl, smashed by these, you know, at one point, New Hampshire was the number one overdose death from opioids mm-hmm. in the country. Like New Hampshire, how did that happen? So I think that, yes, there is extreme on a spectrum of addiction. You have people who are shooting fentanyl, And then you have people over here that might be having chronic people-pleasing addiction that's impacting them living their life purpose and really speaking their truth and mind. And they're stuck in a job because they won't speak their mind. They won't get to that place where they want to live that inkling that they've had since a child to live out that purpose. So you have those things. And I consider that an addiction. When you're just stuck in the headspace of the loop of the patterns of the stories, which I lived in for so long. Yes. When you really start to take a look, that's very uncomfortable. So you will numb out with caffeine right? We'll come yeah. out with all these other ways. And so, but yes, we, we do have a serious opioid crisis happening. And there are people who are literally on the brink of death because of their addiction. But we also have to look at like, why? Why are they there? Mm-hmm. Are they a bad person? Like what's really going on underneath that? And if right. we get underneath and I get to talk to thousands of these people, a lot of times it's really, it, it, it comes down to what happened to them when they were a child. It comes down to what happened to them and gets into their world. You would be using fentanyl too.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I'm not
1: saying for everyone, but for many of them, if you had their life circumstances with their trauma, and I know many people with severe trauma that are thriving right now as entrepreneurs, it's really just what they got to do. And I don't know if it was certain experiences or people in their lives or their resilience or what it was that made them take their addiction and use it as a sp- catalyst to create incredible opportunities for themselves in the world.
0: Yeah, no, I, it, and, and with, with people doing that, um, I always feel like, uh, one of the best things that I ever did for myself and you have to do this for yourself. That's the other thing, too. No one's mm-hmm. going to make you do this. Um, there's, there's always people in my life that wanted me to go down this road. They, want, they knew I could be this person that I am today, but they also knew that it wasn't going to happen um, because of them. You know, I had to want it, and, and those people need to want it as well. And when you get into these patterns and you're stuck uh, on this path, it's it's almost comforting being there. And then to change that can be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, it takes you out of that comfort zone yeah. that you've always been in. And that's the, the, one of the biggest things that I talk about on here is that we need to break that comfort zone. You need to destroy it, blow yeah. it up, get rid of it yeah. and change everything going on, change the people, change what you're doing, change how you're doing it. And when you make all of those changes, then you can start to see the positive outcome yeah. that that is in front of everybody. It's yeah. in front of everybody. But a lot of people choose to stay within that comfort zone. And that comfort zone is a killer.
1: Yeah. And a, in comfort, a, sense. a comfort zone can also be an addiction to me. Yes,
0: Because I think a lot of people think of addiction
1: as this chemical imbalance in the brain, a disease. And you know what? We can have that, and we can hold another perspective too, which is addiction in in many ways is just it's scratching an itch. It's this itch that you have, Mm -hmm. okay? And it's also finding relief. It's relief in this pressure of life and the stress, the life stressors of raising a family or having a dad that's an alcoholic or being sexually abused as a child. Like having these... And then having this sympathetic response in the body where the nervous system is dysregulated and it's every day like that. So there's these patterns that we don't look at as addiction that we live in every day because it's the normal baseline of our of how we're operating. And so when we're challenged and confronted with that, that's when that comfort zone gets, hey, and it's like, no, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. And I think like, yes, having the opportunity to be triggered and to see this and then to, you know, a lot of times we, 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 we need help. We need to ask for help because we'll get confronted by that. And then if we don't have a way of asking for help or seeking help, we'll go right back to the familiar because it's keeping us safe. It's literally survival. Yeah, We'll we'll, we'll feel Mm -hmm. like we're going to die if we don't do that, where sometimes there's these moments where you can have that opportunity to ask for help And that's when you can start to really challenge yourself. Now, sometimes it comes from within. You know, it's like, I'm going to jump in this cold shower because I don't give a shit because I want this. I want to change. I'm sick of this depression. I'm sick of this nicotine addiction. I want to change. And you start taking the cold shower, right? You take the plunge. You start to climb the hill every day. You do some walking. Then you do some jogging. You start changing your diet. That's all outside the comfort zone. right? So, yeah, I mean, that's even I I wrote a book called Smash Your Comfort Zone with Cold Showers. You wrote a book? I wrote a book called Smash Your Comfort Zone with Cold Showers, and people told me Ew. that is the worst title you could have. It's too long. Don't do that. And you know what? I did it anyways because that's the other part of this. We keep – I think like when we look at the book, there's a book like The Five Regrets of the Dying, and um, I might be messing that title up, but it's it's something like that. And and the number one regret is like not doing what you thought was right for you but what was right for other people, right? Like that's the oh. biggest regret of the dying. And it's like we got to you know, just start to – go inward and be like, what do I want? What do I want? Why is that a, a sin or a crime to ask? Right. Like, what do I want? What brings me pleasure? What, where, what? Because that's going to show you where you're where you're getting lit up in a good way. Like maybe it's like, maybe you're doing it as a hobby You do that sometimes, but your job, you, you hate, you're not doing it in your job or maybe you're doing a little bit, but but it's like following that Like, what is it that lights me up? What is my unique zone of genius that really lights me up? And it's not my, you know, there's a a description of, uh, by Dan Sullivan, and he's um, a a super successful uh, coach who talks about, um, you know, the zone of genius versus the zone of excellence. And, you know, and it's like a lot of people are in their zone of excellence where they're doing their job and it's excellent, but they're not in the zone of genius. They're not doing what they are put here to do and tap into that because when they do that it scares the shit out of them. They don't know where it's going to take them. Right. And so in many ways me leaving my job six years ago was me believing what these people were saying. I could feel it in the in, in my body and saying you know what I'm just going to take the plunge and I'm going to leave the secure job at Verizon I spent 13, 14 years building to just see what my zone of genius is because I'm not seeing it in my job. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling the zone of excellence. I can sell. I can be good with people but what is it? And it took like the dark night of the soul experience as an entrepreneur to figure
0: it out. And maybe there's an easier path, but it doesn't seem like there was, you know, I don't think there is an easier path. You really That's you blowing up that comfort zone, right? You had a great job, 13, 14 years, Mm -hmm. you were comfortable and, and, and and everything was going. And then you took it and you threw an a bomb on it and Mm -hmm. you fucking blew it all up and you put the trust in the universe to see what you could actually do, and that took you way out of that comfort zone. Because now you have to, you have yeah. to work, you have to think, you have to I figure it out. You I could, could fail, fail. and failure—I I mean, how many people are afraid of failing? I'm afraid of failing every day. I, it's every you know? single day. Every day, the things I do, I could fail. But yeah. that's the point. I could be working for someone else
1: and doing the same thing. So I'm just. I'm not saying that everyone needs to be an entrepreneur and do their own path. No, what I'm saying is honoring this part of you that's screaming out because what I believe is that if you don't start honoring this thing that's screaming out, you're gonna get sick. Yeah. You're gonna have back pain. It's gonna manifest in physical manifestations in the body. It's gonna manifest as numbing out or addictions. It's gonna manifest as people yelling at you. Why is everyone yelling at me? Why am I getting triggered? It's, it's this whatever, universe, force, source, trying to say, hey, I'm trying to get you on the path. And that's what I found. And as soon as I'm like, no, maybe I don't want to do this. It's like something happens to get me back on this path. And I don't even have all the answers. All I know is like, okay, I think I'm heading to this place. And right now the next step was the podcast and, you know, sharing that with you. So
0: no, no, that's absolutely amazing. So let, let me ask you, because I know for me personally, I just told you about how I fired my gun off and blah, 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 blah. We all have really like elaborate sometimes stories in our addictions, but when I actually decided for myself to get sober, it's a very boring story, right? I get pulled over, I get let go, I had an Uber driver, I was drinking, I ran a red, the cop let me go, and then I got home and I quit drinking. It was the end of it. I realized my entire world that I was building was gonna go right down the crapper for the third, fourth, fifth time. Who the fuck knows, right? Lose count of everything. But... I finally realized I hit something and it went, oh, shit, this is way more important than drinking. And it finally triggered me to give it all up. It wasn't my friends. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't my wife. It was me realizing, hey, stupid, do you want to have nothing all over again? Or do you want to keep what you have and actually build something out of it? What, what was that for you? What was your eye-opening moment? I mean, there's been multiple okay. eye-opening moments.
1: Mm. There's been multiple eye-opening moments. And I and I think one of the biggest ones was when I was 22, when I escaped to Florida to escape my opioid addiction, you know, to – run from my addiction to Florida, which is like the pill mill capital of the country. And and especially in 2005. So I went down there, maybe subconsciously, I knew that. And I got down there and I promised myself I would stay away from cocaine. I would stay away from certain things, (laughs) but I would do other things, but I'll stay away from things. (laughs) It only took a, a couple months before someone offered it to me and I had just enough alcohol in me that I said yes. And I went back into cocaine and I was deep into the opioids. And then eventually, um, it came to a point where I had this, um, overdose experience, near death experience and survived. And then I knew I needed to come back to New Hampshire and I came back to New Hampshire and within like a week or two of come back to New Hampshire, I get a call from uh, the feds and they're basically like, you know, uh, not like FBI, but like, um, You know, agents, federal agents, and being like, "Hey, where are you? We're in We're in Florida with a with a warrant for your arrest, and you're not here." And I'm like, "No, I'm in New Hampshire. I left." And they're like, "Don't go anywhere." And so on. uh, On December 22nd, 2005, I was arraigned in a federal court in Concord. So serious charges. Oh shit! And that's was the big wake up of me sleeping. Like really, I had been sleeping, and I started to wake up and. It was a wake up call. Facing seven to fourteen years in federal prison, wake up call. Holy! So shit. I was like, okay, I got to wake up, and and I woke up in a way that I was like really scared, and my family was scared. Um, but I knew I I knew I didn't want to go to federal prison, so I was gonna do anything it took to not go to federal prison. I didn't have enough for a lawyer at a court-appointed lawyer. So I was like, I, I just got to do this. And they gave me the paper to sign to AA. They, they told me, you got to see a therapist. You, you do all these things, work a full-time job. Like I didn't go to rehab, which is crazy. I didn't go to rehab. There was no drug courts in our state. So I didn't go to drug court, which now I train drug courts. It's really ironic. But wow. I just went all in. And I went all in in my, in my faith too. I had like this, this inner faith because I'm like, I don't know what to do. I need help. And so I just kind of went in and studied and read books and did affirmations. And, and I just like, just trusted, uh, that, that something would work out. And, you know, they kept negotiating me going to prison for a certain amount of time. And I kept saying no. And then I met the prosecutor and this guy definitely wanted to put me away. Oh yeah. And especially after I met him, they just put put more evidence on me, but, but I still trusted and and I ended up not going to prison and I ended up taking the felony charges and uh being on a probation for years but i didn't have to go to prison so yeah. i got to keep my job and accelerate myself go back to school and like do the things i said i was going to do and so that was like one of the big catalysts was like that threat of my freedom being completely taken away being in prison for seven years and throughout my whole 20s and i would have come out in my 30s and instead now i'm 22 i'm not going to go to prison and i'm like let's do this thing and it was it was really hard it was very
0: uncomfortable but that's what it takes sometimes. Yeah. Uh, that unfortunately that is where you can go before you wake up mm-hmm. it, it it is really scary unleash your style discover slowdownclothing.bigcartel.com where fashion meets individuality get ready to elevate your style game and make a statement that's uniquely you at slowdownclothing.bigcartel.com believe Their collection is designed to empower you, inspire confidence, and help you embrace your true self. Crafted with precision and passion, their garments are meticulously made using the finest materials, from luxurious fabrics to impeccable stitching. Every piece reflects their commitment to quality. They understand that comfort is key which is why they have carefully designed each garment with your comfort in mind. Experience the perfect blend of style and coziness that will keep you looking and feeling great all day long don't just take my word for it join the slowdownclothing.bigcartel.com community where style mavens and trendsetters come together when you're dressing for your everyday wardrobe or seeking that one statement piece slowdownclothing.bigcartel.com has you covered Their wide range of styles and sizes ensures that everyone can find their perfect fit. Unleash your style and make a lasting impression with slowdownclothing.bigcartel.com. Visit their website today. Join the fashion revolution and let your clothing tell the story. slowdownclothing.bigcartel.com. Your style, your story. Um, that is wild, bro holy shit so so are so do you use caffeine nicotine anything like how how is uh you, how do you take care of yourself on a day-to-day basis yeah. like yeah I, i've listened and yeah. I, I know that you're very knowledgeable on like you're taking your sandals off you're grounding what else are you doing today yeah so like when i first got into the the halls of these 12-step fellowships it's like health is not a
1: priority right it's like you're 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 not drinking you're not doing things but you're there's like coffee four cups of coffee cigarettes all stuff so when I first get in I was drinking tons of coffee eating like shit and then eventually I took a class in nutrition at a community college and I started to have like this rabbit hole experience of health that like this person was presenting to me like reading food labels and all stuff and I was like 23 years old and I started to pay attention to what I was putting into my body but I was still super addicted to caffeine in fact I didn't I didn't stop my uh, caffeine addiction, and it was an addiction, until 2015 when I started taking cold showers. I got to a point where I was drinking two Red Bulls a day. I would buy a case of Red Bulls from Sam's Club. I'd always have a case of Red Bull in my trunk, and I would drink two Red Bulls a day, had to. And then I would usually drink another uh, one or two more caffeinated beverages a day for about seven years. And so... In 2015, I, I, and what was going on with me is my adrenals were taxed. My adrenals, my endocrine system was being taxed by all this caffeination. And so I ended up um, having anxiety. I started getting anxiety and mm-hmm. I started switching to sugar Red Bulls, to sugar-free, and then I started having panic attacks. One thing I left out is when I, first get into when i got arrested at 22 i had severe panic attacks severe where i would be literally at my job and i would literally like go into like a a state of uh hallucination and it was super scary that i was having oh. a heart attack and it would happen over and over and over and over and eventually i would start taking medication it didn't really help but i was doing therapy and all these things and eventually i had to find a holistic way to get rid of the panic attacks interesting and so you know, the caffeine was part of it. The, the panic attacks started to come back in 2015. I'd worked so hard for them to go away. And I, and, and that's when I started to be like, okay. And I started reading books and how to quit caffeine. And I started to uh, a friend of mine came over my buddy, Nick. He was like, Hey, I, I think you start taking cold showers for 30 days. I'm like, hell no, I'm not taking that was December. And I'm like, I'm not taking a cold shower. It's and, a good challenge. Yeah. And that day I jumped in the shower after my roommate, Pete jumped in the cold shower. And I'm like, I got to jump in the cold shower. And I stayed in fully all the way cold. Now, New Hampshire, when it's all the way cold, you're probably talking a water temperature of about 45 to 50 degrees. Yeah. So it's pretty cold. And I jumped in. I stayed in for five minutes, and I was changed. I came out. I felt, it was extreme, cool. but I felt liberated. Yeah. And I, and, and I knew at some part of me, like, this is how I'm going to quit caffeine. Like, I'm going to use the cold shower power, and I'm going to use utilize these readings from this book. And I just started meditation as well. and I'm like, I'm going to combine all this stuff and I'm going to quit the caffeine. And I did. And I quit caffeine then. And, you know, so since then, like, I haven't, I haven't drank coffee since 2015, um, but I've certainly like brought in little bits of caffeine over the last couple of years just to see how it can serve me. But like, that was when I did a 2015, the cold showers and wow. going all in and, and my, my job and, and, and. And that kind of led into hiring my first business coach. And, and that's when I really started to, to pick wow. up in the holistic health. And
0: that's absolutely that's that's so cool, because right now they're talking. I mean, the cold plunge and yeah, all it's the all, it's blowing up, dude. I mean, I remember when uh, Wim Hof uh, did the shower challenge on uh, uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And this was like three or four years ago. And a, he mentioned, take a cold shower for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And that's all I read. So I stayed in the cold shower, eight minutes, the whole shower, all cold, showered up, got out. I did feel good. I Mm. felt great. I was still drinking caffeine, but now you got me thinking um, because uh, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But then after the 30 days, I was like, okay, cool. I did it. And I went on to write a message about how I did it and how it went. And as I'm in the middle of writing the message, I read the description and it says, do it for 2 minutes of your of your of your shower. Mm-hmm. And I went, "Oh, I did. I did it 30 days the entire shower." Um yeah. and then but but now they're saying with yeah. the with the cold showers and the cold plunges that if you do it first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. it's better than caffeine. Mm-hmm. Like if you could yeah. take that uh when you when you get out, if you could take that feeling yeah. in a pill, yeah. everybody would fucking buy it. Everybody
1: yeah. I think like what we're seeing now, which I was really grateful to tap into before it really blew up is yeah. like, I, I, I was so afraid to relapse back into caffeine. Like I was, I did, I did cold showers every day for five years. I oh, didn't take wow. one hot shower for five years straight. And I went Ooh. to Switzerland, all these different places, never took one. And now I'm not saying anyone has to do that, but that's, that's how I work. I'm, I'm pretty all in extreme. extreme. And I'm yeah. like, I'm, and so, and then after five years, I started to like get into like metaphysical esoteric shit about people would say stuff and be like, Hey, maybe you should take a warm shower in. And, and then I started hearing like, I've, I talked to like Dave Asprey and different people about this. And I'm like, okay, maybe, um, you know, cause it's not going to publish peer review studies about something that's free, right? Yes. There's no, Medicine companies backing that. So, so I just had to kind of do the, the self-knowledge. And, and I was also helping a lot of people, hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, take cold showers. So they were getting back to me, especially when I released my book. And I was like, whoa, I'm really getting real-time study of um, the results of cold showers. But then I started learning, like, it's okay to start the shower warm and then end it cold. And, and I started to play with that. And so that's where I'm at it today. Like, of course it's summer. It's not, they're they're not that cold. So you can go straight cold, but like, what about cold plunging? You know, like do the cold plunging and I don't have a cold plunge yet where I live, but I've done cold plunges. And um, I just had a guy on my podcast named Miles Lucas, who's a black belt, 25 year uh, jujitsu practitioner. He also is a level two certified Wim Hof instructor. He's also affiliated with the cold plunge. That's an actual company called the cold plunge, which is a really nice cold plunge. And, you know, this guy does cold plunging every day, sometimes six times a day. And it's like six times a day in the cold plunge. So I think, you know, the, the cold plunge is kind of the next evolution for me to really incorporate into my practice. And, you know, um, you know, probably a lot of people are asking like, what are the benefits? Like, why would I do that? Where's the science behind it? And I think yeah. there's a lot of podcasts now you can listen to, yeah. uh, to talk about it. There's a, there's a peer reviewed study that came out. I think it was in 2009 by Dr. Nikolai Shevchuk, um, that talked about cold showers, um, treating depression I actually interviewed dr. Nikolai Shevchuk before I released my book because I didn't wow. want to come out and hurt anyone or cause injuries with cold therapy and I also had um, another um, medical doctor in Boston that wrote the Ford to my book um, you know who came from uh, Europe where it's where cold therapy is much bigger than over yeah, here I, and so yes. so I I I'd done all that research first and um, you know it's just it's really fascinating to see. And I think more studies are going to come out, but there's all kinds of things with the mitochondria yep. um, happening. And, but for me, like the number one thing, and I'm hearing this now all the time and, and is, you know, the cold shower for me represents, I mean, there are definitely chemical cascades of chemicals to get released when I do it, but it's more of my mindset. It's more yeah. of like this resilience I feel when I come out and do that, and I'm going now into my world which has all these stressors happening, yes. and I feel like let's bring that on. And jujitsu is like that too. Yeah, right? I was just Getting gonna say that. Right? Yes,
0: because like the the, the cold plunge, all uh, being in a cold shower. Like I only have a three quarter stall downstairs, so I I only do a cold shower. I would like to get a cold plunge, and now they're saying, well, the cold plunges, you know, if it's stagnant water. It kind of warms up, so you gotta get one with a little bit of flow to it mm-hmm. so that the cold water's constant. Yeah. Um, and, and let me know if I'm wrong about any of this, because you're way more educated on it than I am. But I've heard that you shouldn't do more than like five minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of. Um... There's a lot of people that say two minutes. You know, two yeah. minutes is good enough. I, I I've mean, heard thirty seconds. I've heard thirty, 30 seconds. seconds is pretty Even good. Even just plunging, going in, and plunging, coming out in the winter time. What I do when it's 19 degrees out, I'll go to a river and usually with someone, not by myself. Sometimes by myself, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> and I and I go in and I'll just I'll just plunge in and come out. And sometimes I stay in, but ah. I get huge benefits from just plunging and coming out. And um, a lot of times. Um, in the wintertime, when I go to the river and do that, I'll come out and literally six hours, I'm in this endorphin high. I'm yeah. Endorphin high six hours from 30
0: seconds or two minutes of being in that water. And Ooh, yep. so I think, you know, yeah. Just to be safe. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've I've heard of people going for 20 minutes yeah, and having safe. massive fucking problems with yeah, it, especially an, like Joe Rogan. Be, he came careful. out about that. He yeah. did a 20 minute and he said he was frozen yeah. for eight hours, 10 hours, whatever the fuck it was. You don't, you don't want to cause damage. Start slow.
1: Even with cold showers, start with 10 to 15 seconds at the end of your shower, all the way cold, or even not all the way cold. I've become less extreme in my, in time. And, and I've had like teenagers reaching out to me saying it, 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 it taking cold showers, um, get rid of my acne. And now I'm more confident in high school and like all these stories. It's
0: it's absolutely incredible what cold water can do. It's, it's, it really is. It, It blows my mind. Now, uh, thing I just heard recently, I think it was this week, I think it was this week, um, but this, this is going to come out later, but um, sorry, too much behind the scenes. But anyway, so what it was is, is they were talking about the cold plunges and they were talking about putting your head under mm-hmm. because a lot of people are getting in and they're going shoulder. And they're not actually dunking their head, and they're yeah. talking about releasing even more of those endorphins yeah. and stuff like that when you yeah. dunk your head. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. So so I've al- I always dunk my head. You always. do always,
1: and you know, I just it's it's intuitive. It's like I know when I take a cold shower, I'm I'm the water is gonna hit my head. I I have to end on that. Like I end okay. on the water hitting my face and head. Now I've talked to even medical doctors about that. And they're like, you don't need to do that. You don't need it to hit your face and head. But I'm like, just because you have a MD in front of you doesn't mean you know more than me when that it comes is, to this stuff. That is very Because fair. I have years and years of data on this. So I'm able to you know, have that experience and the shower like that, feel invigorated. So when I do the cold plunges, whether it's in the river or a cold plunge um, tub, I always... Go under at the end. Yeah, you do. And, and okay. I and I honestly keep my head under for me as long as I can until I can't take it anymore and I come out. And I don't know. There's something about getting your and I don't know the science behind that. I don't know if anyone does yet. But having myself go under and come back up, like I always do it. And it's like when I don't, it's like I'm and, and that's why I always do it. I, I I think maybe I've always done it. So I don't know what it's like when I don't. I guess, but I always go under. And when I get my old cold my own cold plunge tub I'm going to always dunk right before I come out and you know I'm not sure maybe it's the the way the blood flow is coming to the head I'm not really sure yeah there's Vaso- say- vasoconstriction you know but it's it's amazing to me like I feel like that's that cherry on top yes and I don't want to miss out
0: and that's how they're describing it they they're, you if you don't go head under and they're not saying for like the entire soak. No, so if yeah, you're no, doing no. a 2 minutes or 2 minutes soak, then probably. you could yeah. the the 30 30 seconds yeah. of being underneath yes. Yes. and then coming back up is enough. Yeah, And it's just what it does is it, it just it just takes that sensation to the next level. Yeah, and I think
1: like doing that too even for just one one second or 2 seconds when you come out of that 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 thing i was telling you about about courage and resilience like it, it's something that really is there it's not something you're lying to yourself and saying positive affirmations like you you have it it's like yeah it's like going to jujitsu and you actually get on the mat and you get humbled and you leave jujitsu you f- you're like oh i did that and it's yeah. it's it's the same feeling like like it's not like i'm i'm making it up like i put my head under i came up and i feel resilient And then I go and show based on the results of my day that that actually helps. So that's the thing with all of the stuff we're saying. Don't take our word for it. Go and do this stuff. Start slow. Start mm-hmm. to journal every day. A yes. results log. Journaling is very important for thirty days, though. For yes, thirty days minimum. Now I did five years to study it, but uh, you can do thirty days and start to see like, is this making a difference? And I've seen YouTubers with big channels do thirty days cold showers. Like that was a waste of my time and all that stuff. But I need to look at a lot of other data of what they were doing. But at the same time, maybe it doesn't work for that person. Right. Good. Then do something else. But. You know, give it the time it needs. You know, they say it takes 28 days to create a habit. I don't believe that. I think it can take way longer than that to instill a habit. So try it for yourself, any of these things, and start slow. Journal it and have your own experience. Be your own self-scientist.
0: Well, I talk about journaling a lot because I started a gratitude journal because Mm. I was trying to find uh, gratitude in, in this life that I was choosing to take on. Right. I'm choosing to not drink. I'm choosing to eat healthier, take care of myself, get off my medications. But I needed to find gratitude in that. And I couldn't find it. And it was it was almost sending me in a backwards cycle because I was like, nothing seems to be working. And then uh, for the last year and a half, um, just five little things every morning. Just what am I grateful for? Am I grateful mm. for the fact that I woke up this morning? Write that down. Yeah. Am I grateful that my two dogs are healthy? Am I grateful mm. that I have a house over my yeah. over my head? You just It doesn't have to be in-depth crazy shit. You just got to find things to be thankful yeah. for that morning. I do it first thing. Mm. Nothing else gets done. I might be brewing my coffee or whatever because I'm mm. still a caffeine addict. But I just... I needed that. And when I do that, along with the cold shower, along with everything else that I practice, yeah. it makes a whole picture of yeah. everything. And it makes it that much easier to do it day in, day out, day in, day out.
1: Yeah, yeah and that's that's how I look at it. I love that practice. And that's a practice that I've, I adopted too for a long time. You know, I was journaling every day for over a decade. And I'm not oh, saying wow. you have to do that, but but yeah. I have like 15 years of journals. And I just did it because when I was facing federal prison, I was like, I don't know what to do. And my okay. mentor when I first got arrested, um, this man was like, Why don't you journal this whole journey? So someday you can look back and share it with your family. And I was I'm like, Oh God, I don't know if I'm gonna be alive. Never mind, have a family, but I'll start journaling. And I started to journal and then I just kept that up. And and one of the things I started doing early on was gratitude. And mm. and today it's like there's there's days where because I've got out of the habit of journaling where I have to remember like, oh, yeah, like appreciation, gratitude in the morning, but it can it can really help. And a lot of people in really shitty situations where there doesn't seem any hope, it doesn't seem like there's anything to be grateful for. But the reality is if you're breathing air, then you can be grateful for the air you're breathing because breath is medicine. And you can breathe in that medicine and be like, oh, I'm just grateful for the air that I'm breathing because I'm still alive. And then that can then transmute into, okay, and there's that person. Let me just say hi to them. And so, so it's like, you can start with the breath. You can start with that because some days I have to do that myself, especially Mm. in the past, you know, just like, well, I I don't want to be grateful for this. Look at all the stuff I'm facing. But at the same time, what is this what is the result of facing this going to transform me into and how right. am I, how is this going to turn into service to others and that's what this is all about in my opinion is this life journey is really about like wow what a ride and how can i help others free others and if yes. they want to be free because some people don't right. to just learn from whether it's you know cold showers or journaling or just like doing what they know that they need to do because they're good at that thing whether that's cooking or empathy or holding space for someone, but like really doing it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So.
0: that's why, that's, that's why I like uh, doing all of this because not only does this help me with staying sober myself, but I feel like, uh, getting more people involved and having them listen that they don't feel alone anymore. Yeah. Cause I f- really feel like almost everybody feels like they're alone yeah. in their own journey but yeah. they don't realize that there's all of us having almost yeah. the same exact experiences yes. on different levels. Yeah, We're all on different levels, but we're all having that yeah. same experience. We're all, we all want to give up at some point yes. in time. We all want to just give in to what's going on in here. And, 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 and the tough part is not listening and just keep grinding. Right. Because when you do that and you actually, I consider it beating myself. I beat myself. I, I showed myself. We didn't have to listen to the brain today. We, we just did, and now we're here, and we made it one more day, one more hour, whatever it happens to be, however you need to calculate your time. And I tell everybody, if you're, if you're counting your days, do it. Count every single day if you have to. If that's what keeps you moving forward, then count every day. I, you don't have to be somebody who's like, oh, you know, I don't count. Uh, I don't count today because, you know, it didn't add up to a month yet. Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But if you need to count every single day, I was counting every single day when I first got off alcohol. I still count every mm-hmm. single day. I mm-hmm. just don't uh, uh, speak about every single day anymore. I'll right. only speak about the months and the years I've acquired. Mm-hmm. But it's now uh, September 14th will be seven years off of alcohol. Rats. It's crazy, That's dude. Never thought I'd ever be here. And I feel like a lot of people feel this way. Mm-hmm. They feel like they can't do it. They, they're they not going to get there. It's so long yeah. to get to where I am today, but yeah. it was worth it. Yeah. And one of the things that really helped me change was jujitsu. Mm. Jujitsu was a major player mm. in all of this. I, I even had my friend tell me a couple weeks ago, I think we were talking on the phone and he's like, dude, if you didn't join jujitsu i think you'd probably be dead he's like if anything really changed you it was definitely getting on those mats and 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 I, I i noticed that now because i look back at when i started nine years ago and i was still drinking and smoking cigarettes and then it, i don't think it, it was even because it's only seven years so you figure two years of that i was still the old chris he was just running around, drinking, doing mm-hmm. stupid shit, going on the mats and being stupid. And 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 when I finally got so addicted to jiu-jitsu that I was yeah. like, shit, I can't breathe anymore. Yeah. Why why does my cardio suck? Yeah. Well, I got to get rid of the cigarettes, yeah. so I turned yeah. on to vaping and I started this this incline to yeah. bettering myself right. so that I could better be better on the mats yeah, exactly. it was it was it was yeah. so crazy to yeah. me that i'm bettering myself so i can be better on the mats that's right I wasn't bettering myself for anybody else i just wanted to be able to play on the mats yes. better
1: yes and that one change was a cascade of all these habit changes yes. to make that one thing happen and that's what happens and that's what's scary when we decide and commit to one thing it ends up changing all these other habits because we want to do that thing. And jujitsu required you to really take a look at your health, really look at your lungs and like, what do I want to do to get there? And it's either quit that thing and then go back and maybe spiral all the way down to maybe even death. Or is it? You know what? If I do this, I have to make these other changes. So you stack all these habits. It's called habit stacking. You're stacking all these habits that are positive habits, so that you can have that thing that you love, that you want to do. And then what does it do? It affects your your family. It affects your partner. It affects your whole life. It affects your the way you show up to work. And that's that's what that's what it's about. It's like find that one thing, go all in on it. Try it, even if you feel who cares. But as you do that, it it impacts because a lot of people compare compartmentalize their life right into these different parts. And they keep a little hidden secret over here, over here. It's like when you start to do these things that you're all in on this one thing, whether it's jujitsu or maybe it's yoga or whatever it is, it starts to be like, damn, I got to take a look at this other stuff because when I go to do this, it's all coming up mm-hmm. and that's beautiful. That's yeah. a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you know, this by being on the mass, it's, it, it's, it's an amazing atmosphere where you you know, they always tell us if, if, if you're if you're if you're if you're you're winning, that's fine. And if you're losing, you're not losing, you're you're learning. Yeah. And I, I love that saying so much because I think it works with a lot of things. I've I've uh, I've with with jujitsu being in my life. I like I look at everything through jujitsu eyes now, you know, everything is much easier in life. Because I'm not getting crushed by a 240 pound dude. Mm. You know, so going to work and having hard conversations yeah. and getting through uh, concrete issues yeah. and shit are so much yeah. easier because I struggled yes. to get that 240 pound dude off yeah. of me and it's... I didn't get tapped for five minutes. Yeah. It, incredible. Yeah. But I'm not gonna I'm also not gonna sugarcoat it and say that every day is like that. No. There's days I walk in there and they make me feel like I'm a white belt, mm-hmm. and I'm like destroyed, and then I'll go That's in the like next. That's like my every day, yeah, because I am, a, <laughs> yeah. I am yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, but then I'll go in another day, and I have great. I have a great. I win a bunch. I stay away. I do certain things, and it's all clicking. Yeah, but it, not every day is gonna be a great day. Nor is life
1: supposed to be like
0: that. I don't believe it's. If supposed you don't have to. the
1: bad days, if you don't know what depression, despair, grief is then you never know what joy, bliss, and pleasure is. So it's like you need to have that balance. That's what the human experience is about. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, thought, I just need either. to always do positive affirmations and always be in the spiritual and always be in, And it's like, that. no, that's not reality. And you nope. get humbled, and jujitsu is humbling. I can have all this like positive uh, habits and eating and positive affirmations, and I get on the mat, and it doesn't matter. Right. As that matters is where I'm at. Where am I at? And And I get humbled into reality. And yes. sometimes we need to be humbled into reality to be like, Oh, I'm grateful to be humbled. And then you take that and you can bring that as a metaphor into your whole life. Like be humble, stay humble. Like, no, I don't know I got smashed for 4 months of jiu-jitsu. Absolutely destroyed because I had this like fiery energy that I was going to bring and I kept getting smashed and eventually I had to realize like I need to bring it down about 10% and I just start to learn how to breathe. Yeah, and that with my nervous system translated right into these big moves I made in my business. And I'm like, whoa, oh. okay. Like, and then I end up meeting a woman that I love and be in a relationship with. And and part of that was like the humility of jujitsu and the body confidence because I had body dysmorphia. You know, I had this this, and it still comes up now, but with. Jiu-jitsu helped to really get into loving my body more too. To yes. be like, these stories I have about how skinny or how weak I am and stuff, it's not true because I can get to the mat. And and know I don't work out every week and do those things, but I go to jujitsu jitsu and I realize like, oh, this is just time, patience, technique, and my body does work well. And it's like, wow. So I've been able to like smash my stories that weren't serving me since I was a child with the help of jujitsu too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really feel like the the life in general, it doesn't matter if you're doing jujitsu, music, whatever you're doing, if you're passionate about it, you love it, you start to find ways to make other parts of your life fit into whatever you're loving and Mm -hmm. enjoying. But it doesn't go without saying that you're gonna have really bad days, you're gonna have bad weeks, you're gonna have bad everything, but at the same time, if you take all of those tools that you use to better yourself, I find that it's much easier now to deal with the bad shit than it was. Because yeah, for when for I sure. when I had bad shit hit me, it was go to the bottle. Yeah. Now when I have bad shit hit me, I go, how the fuck do I fix this? Yeah. What do I need to do? I slow down, I think about it, and I start going through everything that I can to try and just get the get the problem fixed. And I feel a lot better because I ran into it. I didn't run away from it. Mm-hmm. I ran into that mm-hmm. darkness, that 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 bad feeling. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to get this friggin figured out mm-hmm. and I'm gonna do it now. And then as soon as you get through it, you go, yeah. Oh, it yeah, wasn't yeah, that yeah. bad. It was a pain in the ass. It cost you a lot of money. You lost time, whatever. But now you got through it and now and that's what i love about um uh being an addict in a sense because uh being an addict you can be addicted to anything and if you get more addicted to fixing yourself and getting through hard scenarios instead of getting addicted to pills and bottles and all this other stuff man it's life changing mm-hmm. it's just it's it's
1: yeah it's, and i think the flip side of that is like I've been a crazy doer since I got arrested. Incredible doer, incredible action taker because my life depended on it, literally. And the flip side of that is being, I became so rigid into the doing that I had to be humbled into the being. So the wow. flip side is the surrender where yes. I was trying to solve a problem this weekend and I was just in it and the mental and the rational and all this stuff. And eventually I eventually had to let go and surrender and allow this space for me to go out in nature and just breathe and let go of all these feelings I had to just surrender. So the flip side of that is like, we also at times need to be in the yin versus the yang energy and be able to allow this surrender. And I think a lot of doers, especially entrepreneurs are go, 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 go. And then we just blow through at workaholism and we don't stop to just take a moment to enjoy what we're creating and be with our partner, our family, our friends. And I think for me, like I'm learning too of that balance of like, I need to drop into my heart, especially meeting this this woman that I love. And and she reminds me of the drop into that heart because I'm so in my mind, I create worlds in my mind. Yeah. Whole worlds get created here and I won't drop into my heart. So I think some of that too is is at times we also need to just surrender into that yin energy to allow things to come in from wherever it's coming in from the intuition and just listen. And I did that this morning. I literally was like in this place where I was like, I was in this pain that I had really created mentally from yeah. doing. And I, and I started to surrender to that. And all of a sudden, like I told you coming here, like f- my phone blew up because I was surrendering that energy and that frequency of it just changed. And all these solutions came in that I didn't have that I now had because I surrendered into it. So it's this really interesting, life is this really interesting balance between that yin and yang energy and when do we have to be forceful and when do we have to let go? And that's what I've learned later on in life. And I'm 40 now. It took me a lifetime to get to, 40 years to understand that. And I'm not perfect at it because I was still trying to fight and create the world with my mind and the rational mind. But sometimes we have to fall in and drop into the heart. And that could be, really uncomfortable mm-hmm. um so yeah it's just no, the, no, no, the, flip, it, the contrast no
0: it, it really is and I, I i i like the way that you word it better than i do i call that uh stepping back mm-hmm. i gotta step back I'm, yeah. I'm i'm it's just like when you're when you're like you said in the middle of a, a, a the project or something like that and you just hit this roadblock and you just can't get through it and you're you you just gotta be like okay psh, i'm done put it down yeah step away that's right figure do something else yeah just let your mind yeah. go somewhere else yeah and then you go in back and you look yes. at that again yes. and all of a sudden you figured yes. it out
1: that's right go take a bath go into nature go do the hobby you love go play yeah. pickleball i don't play you know, it but you, i want to play you like, know what i mean go do something else and guess what happens boom the solution might come to you Dude. a lot of times i'd be in like a float tank i'd go into a float, oh, tank I love float and tanks. all of a sudden boom it would come as i was in that just surrender energy of the mind And so,
0: yeah, it's it's, freeing because we run into roadblocks. We sometimes create them for ourselves, too. You know, Um, so when you meditate and you do stuff, do you what what uh, what breathing practice do you use? I like the box breathing, Mm -hmm. the four in, four, uh, four hold, four out, four hold. Yeah. I mean, it's evolved a lot. I've been through
1: trainings for, uh, you know, Meditation trainings and all these different things. I'm, I'm heart math certified, heart math certified trainer. So I use a lot of the heart math stuff, which is, you know, more of like the the brainy stuff, even though it's the heart, the math of the heart, heart math. So I, I kind of mix in whatever I'm feeling for the day. So sometimes I'm going into an active meditation where I'm actively meditating. I'm not just doing like a mantra over and over. And I've also done that transcendental meditation. But a lot of times I like to guide myself in an active meditation where, oh. I'm, where I'm guiding myself through imagining. It could be the energy channels in my body. It could be imagining the tree of life right to the ground, to mother earth. It might be heart math where I'm literally just focusing my breath on the heart and breathing in and out of my heart, like literally imagining my breath moving in and out of my heart, breathing slower and deeper. And then I'm falling into a regenerative feeling of gratitude or appreciation right after that. And I'm I'm breathing deeply into my heart while I'm um, tuning into this regenerative feeling of appreciation and care. And then from there, I'm radiating that out. I'm literally radiating out that energy to the ones I love, to the people who are suffering. And that will, within two to five minutes, com- can completely change my state, depending on where it is. And um, so I, I've, I've I've developed, I didn't develop, but I've I've been trained in these many different ways of meditating or mindfulness. And I think the next evolution for me is... Getting into some more somatic breath work, whether that's going to be Wim Hof and or whether that's going to be somatic breath work from some of these people that I'm I'm starting to practice. Um, I just had a, an amazing breathwork session with um, Amy Cloutier, uh, who um, runs Sacred Moon, and we did ninety minutes of breath work, and it was like I did psychedelic medicine. I mean, I did. I went so deep into myself that. I had seen things I could not see until I was 40 minutes into the breath work. And I just started having these huge releases. And so the the breath is very powerful. And so I think, you know, maybe the next evolution for me is is kind of learning um, these other breath work practices so that I can bring them into jujitsu, which I'm already doing, bring them into more cold plunging, but really bring it into all of life.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Breathing is so important in jujitsu, period. Like, if you are getting, someone's got you in mount and they're smashing you, man, it can be, you feel like you are dying sometimes. But, like, once you figure out your breath and your breathing, it's crazy how being under that much pressure is actually easy Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because it's taken me nine years like to figure out my breathing and everything else in class and you know i I, i've been told a couple times that when i'm rolling with some people and my eyes are closed and i'm just going through motions they're like it's so intimidating and i was like i I just closed my eyes because i'm i'm trying to feel things out i'm 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 relaxing myself so that my breathing stays uh, consistent, um, and I don't, uh, exert myself. And then I just, I just let, I like to do the feeling thing. And I've gotten into that in the last like year or so, Mm. um, with it, but it's been a tremendous change, Mm. but it took eight years to finally get my breathing to a good point, you know? And it's like, that's, that's the biggest, Uh, thing about all of this is that like you're 40 I'm 43 I didn't figure any of this shit out or even start thinking about it till I was 37 Mm -hmm. and it's like I still don't know if I'm doing it right but I do know that if I uh uh, uh, like if I hold on to uh lies or if I uh there's all kinds of different ways that can send me back or have me relapse Mm -hmm. um in a sense and and I find that uh we were just watching uh, some show uh the last night and uh the guy uh the character uh had started drinking again and he started drinking again because he held on to somebody else's lie. Uh-huh. And I was like that's it. Yeah. You lying can lead you back to your addiction. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that's what we do. We lie to ourselves, right? Yes. We lie to ourselves and then we deceive ourselves. and We never make an amends to ourselves or have forgiveness for ourselves. And that just piles up and piles up and piles up. And then it manifests as snapping on people, mm-hmm. rage, road rage, all these things. And that just, it just keeps going until you let that pressure cooker, let that tension out. It's going to explode. And it's going to, it's, it could explode in many different ways. Of course, it could explode into drinking but it could also just explode into high blood pressure back pain it can manifest as all these inflammation in the body and you know so uh yeah i mean we have to have these outlets for this tension and that's how i look at addiction addiction is tension it's Mm. pressure we need relief so i don't look at it as like Okay, that person's an addict. That person's not an addict. I don't look at it like that. I look at it. We're all addicts, and it's just to what extent are you on that spectrum? I really and, like that. You know, and maybe there's people who came into this world and they don't have any of that. And maybe there are those people, um, and and I haven't met them yet. But if I'm I'm open to hear about people who are raised with two loving parents who provided structure and in, and and intention and learning and was with them all that part as they went through life and. Gave them their freedom. They had the love to love their ch- inner child and have all that. I just have yet to meet them. But if um, that's hopefully with my podcast, I can interview some of those people that have no bad habits, and no addiction, no trauma, and they were just now blessed, enlightened, almost to just now serve and be that. But I don't haven't met someone like that
0: I, yet. I, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I, I've they probably I, exist. I think they might be. Uh, what's it, not. Um, an anomaly, is that the word yeah, I'm looking anomaly, for? Right? Yeah. right, A Very, very minimal amount of yeah, people like yeah. that because I feel like almost all of us have some childhood yeah. trauma, and like generational trauma. But, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Of course, pass well, on to you. My, my. I mean, my dad was uh, uh, not awful. I love my father, but he was just to the point. It wasn't it wasn't oh let me give you a hug and you know what i mean it was like it was like talking to a stone wall sometimes it was just there's no emotion there he's just straight matter of fact this is it you know and it was like i was always looking for a hug i was always looking for yeah. you know this 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 love from my mm-hmm. father that i never really got because one when i was a child he was never home he was always working mm-hmm. and then two as we got older I was a shitbag <laughs> and he was always yelling and screaming at me and disappointed with the choices that I was making. So it was like I was always looking for this and I feel like alcohol and drugs kind of filled that hole Absolutely. for me. Absolutely.
1: You know, Gabriel Mate talks about heroin being a warm hug. Yeah. I've shot heroin. So Ooh. when you are shooting heroin, it is like a warm hug. Isn't that ironic? You were searching for a hug your whole life since a child and people find that outlet through shooting heroin. So when people go, oh my God, that attic and the needles gross and they stole, yeah, well guess what? When they shoot that heroin, it's like a warm hug they never got from their dad and their mom. So so this is what I'm saying. When we talk about addiction, there's this lens of compassion that we often don't have because it's intentional. It's intentional that we don't have that. That Mm. feeds into other systems that allow those systems to exist that don't serve us. So, you know, looking at addiction from that lens of like, oh my God, this person is seeking relief through the tension and pressure that's been built up since they were a child, to not get hugged. And now they get that through fentanyl. So, you know, it's just, uh, you you know, I'm one person, you're one person, but, you know, having this show and talking about it and bringing some awareness to it, it just allows people, you know, I've, I've, you know, I published uh, my second book, and my second book was called If Not You, Then Who? And it's Harness Your Strength to Shift from Addiction to Abundance. And, and abundance is a big word. Yeah. But I mean it because abundance is not just financial wealth. There's right. many, many... I just interviewed a guy on my podcast who is set for life. And this guy... Um, it is a great example and I take his word for it. All the people that he's he's worked with, Paul Tudor Jones, all the some huge investors in his life was mentored by, and he straight up says like there's many, many wealthy people who are not abundant. And yeah. so so abundance, right? So I think you know, I I I share that about my book. Um actually I don't remember why I brought up the book, but I think that there's um well maybe if you ask me a question i can't even remember where i was going no that. that's that's I got fine lost in, in my podcast i did with jason and, <laughs> and, and, and him saying about what abundance is and uh, maybe it'll come to me where i was no going that's
0: fine that. I, I i i didn't even know you wrote two books this is so wild to me i love i love finding these little nuggets out about people i yeah. i like the fact that you like i said you 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 seem very educated on all the subjects that you uh discuss and it's like now I can see it. You're writing books. You're really taking care of things. And I just, um, you know, uh, uh, looking, we were talking about looking for that warm hug and mm. finding it through heroin. And then you led into the book.
1: Yeah. I. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got it. Okay. Thank you. So, so when I went to write this book, and I'm about to interview this person on my podcast, so it's all these weird synchronicities that happen for me to write the book, right? I had a book in me. I believe every person has a book in them, and they have all these chapters of their life that is in them. And- some people will never write a book and that's fine, but I believe that we all have this book in us and we have these chapters of our life. And And this book I wanted to write because of being arrested and telling that story. And, and like, I want to tell that part, but I also want to tell all the things that I was privileged to really experience as I started to gain more financial means through Verizon to pay for coaches and pay to be around holistic health coaches and pay to be around these people. That's like, wow, this is really transforming my life and people don't have access to this. So that was the result of that book. But the person that helped me to publish the book, the person that helped me to, and and I self-published it, I did that myself, but the person that kept me accountable to write the book, COVID hit and I knew that was the time I needed to write the book. Oh, okay. And so I took 10 months during that when COVID first hit to write the book and I had accountability through a person. Um, Amanda Rooker, who has this, uh, book publishing company, or she helps to write, uh, you know, helps you, she keeps you accountable to the book. She can do all the work, but her sister had just died from a fentanyl overdose. So when I was connected with her, with a guy who, who end up passing away from brain cancer not long after. You just don't know how long you have on this earth plane. Let me tell you, this wow. dude was healthy. He wrote a book called Living Well from Within. He's the founder of evidence-based medicine for hospitals. And I got connected to him somehow, and he I did him a favor, and he said, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I want to write this book, but I'm not sure what to do. Right before COVID hit, and he's like, talk to Amanda. And Amanda became my accountability coach for writing my book. And Amanda took on my project, even though I couldn't afford her whole rate because – She said, I just lost my sister to fentanyl addiction, and she took me under her wings to really get this book out, and I just share that you just never know the war that someone is fighting. You never know what their experience is with maybe not having direct addiction in themselves with drugs and alcohol, but maybe they lost a family member or a father grew up in an alcoholic household. You just never know. So I just share that to say, we just never know that war that's going on with anyone we meet, especially in Manchester. You know, there's a lot of pain going on. There's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of mental health, a lot of trauma I see. And, uh, you know, it's everywhere, but I can really see it. You know, when I'm on Elm street and I'm seeing, and I'm just like, man, like, and like, what's their story? Maybe we get them on this podcast, you know, like, what is their story? And, you know, it's just, it's just an interesting conversation, but You know, I just I'm super blessed when we start talking about gratitude. I I mean, my list of gratitude would be very big at this point every single day because I've been really fortunate to, you know, have um, even if we're going to call it mental illness at times and all these things and being able to come through that in many ways holistically. And that's really like part of my mission is to bring people on. To share their voices free on podcasts where you might not be able to coach with them, but they have free resources, but you can hear their voice and hear their story because a lot of times their stories are not unlike our own, but we make a story that I can never be that because of where they are, but we don't see the glacier and all the work they did underneath to get there. And that's been true for you and been true for me.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, that's why I always say this took a long time to get here. It took a lot of work to do. Yeah, it took everything to get all this done. It's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen overnight. There's no quick, easy fix to anything. I love expressing that more than anything. Because they, they, I believe we live in a country where everybody wants the quick fix. Like right now, you mentioned earlier about all the studies in the UK and how they have so many studies in like the the cold plunge. Well, they also had 30 years where the studies for vaping and they also have many years. they're going to there's they're already looking into uh, drugs like Ozempic that people are taking for weight loss right now, which could be causing people to commit suicide. And you're just like, oh, but they're doing it. We're not doing it. Why? And why is it when they do these studies, we choose as a country not to even acknowledge them? Yeah. It makes me so angry. It's like there's so much mm-hmm. further ahead with all this shit yeah. than we are. Yeah. And yet we sit here and we go, nah, we got it. Yeah. And it's like no, we don't got it. We need to listen to all of these people. We need to have all of these opinions coming in. We need to yeah. have all this research coming in yeah. so that we get a bigger, better, fuller picture. Right.
1: And that's what you're doing, right? That's what I'm doing. We're trying to get more voices heard, like more perspectives heard. And you know, I'm bringing people on that have been along my journey, but there's many people that I want to bring in that their voices are not being heard. And yes. I want them to reach out and I want I want to get them on the show, but I'm just getting people on the show that I've been uh, blessed to come across their path and they say yes to come on the show and you know i want to get that information out there you know why is the united states the largest consumer of pharmaceuticals by a mile in the whole world when we don't have the biggest population you know in our country there's way bigger population we consume the most pharmaceuticals by a mile so it's like why and so it's just these are really interesting conversations with people who have spent decades studying that so i you know just bring them on the show and and, and talk about it i have my own views on it but I just want to, you know, kind of get down to the layers and the layers and the history of how we got here, and it's a really interesting uh, discussion. And uh,
0: yeah, no, no, that's uh, that's awesome. More voices, right? More voices. yes, more voices, and and that's why I like having so many people on, and I, I just I I definitely uh, uh, enjoy having all the different ray of people that I've had on my podcast. Cause it's just, it's so enlightening and it's, 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 it's rewarding um, to allow people to tell their story about how they got to where they are today and how they're coming through all of their struggles and being this better, stronger person on the other side. Once mm-hmm. you dig through all that shit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's the tough part. That's the challenge. That's the struggle. Like when you, are confronted with all of the the negative and, and, and I mean, even today, I still have a hard time with compliments or, put it, put it, or, comp, or saying that I did a good job. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. with any of that because I still look at myself as an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I still look at myself that let everybody down mm-hmm. for decades. And now I know I'm not doing that. But I can't just erase that part of my brain mm-hmm. and be like, oh, no, this is who I am now. Mm-hmm. It's like it's weird how it kind of hangs around and mm-hmm. and I still battle that. And I think a lot what, what you were saying earlier was being able to do that for yourself mm-hmm. and alleviate that negativity yeah. is a good good thing and i'm gonna think about that more because i think i need to do it more
1: well no one's gonna do it for you and that's
0: the thing is no one's coming
1: to save you you have to be in that space where you're willing to go as far as you can take it and as you start to believe that this can change then the solutions start to appear and you might not like it and so that's where it's like oh i i don't receive compliments well i don't do it's like Well, but I want to though, what would it be like if I did, what does my future self look like where I can receive compliments and really live into my mission and purpose, whatever that is here, who cares what it is, but there's something here you're here to do. And it's like, there's solutions, the people, the situations, the circumstances will start to show up. And that's what I've noticed as I start to really tune in. And to be honest, like going into, you know, psychedelic assisted therapy for me and, and really looking at these parts that I couldn't access through. I mean, I literally have a degree. I'm literally a therapist. I I'm uh, an unlicensed therapist. Cause I chose not to be licensed, but I got the mental health counseling degree from Revere. You know, I, I was in therapy for over 10 years, um, every week. And wow. so, you know, I have a lot of experience with therapy and and these things and studying psychology, but you know, um, you know and I've been in meditation for twelve years and now getting into breath work and they're all beautiful and they have their space and I do believe that people with um doing that have done enough work and they um they can tap into like these Samadhi states or these states of oneness and really get to the core of even their trauma through the breath. I do believe that now because I have that experience and maybe even through meditation I haven't got there with that but but for me you like it, the bigger experiences of of allowing myself to feel joy and pleasure and let my shoulders down and actually relax for the first time started to come in some of these bigger medicine journeys that I've done and I think, you know, what we're seeing right now is a, a, a surgence, or resurgence of that happening, and there's a, there's a lot of chaos in that space, but there's also a lot of coherence, but it's not accessible or legal or affordable, but I think we're going to see in the next year, we're going to really see some of that emerge and be a little more accessible, not all the medicines, but some of them, and a lot of people who want to choose to do that, do that, because it's, it's certainly not for everyone. Um, but for me, I was, I was called to it after many years of research and talking to different doctors who have, um, you know, really cert- researched that. And and like, it was just like one thing hitting me over the head over another. And then eventually I just took the plunge and, and eventually, you know, started to learn on my own and do my own trainings and, and learn what I need to learn. But, you know, it's, it's just a place where that's where I started to get to these deeper levels of, of self-love is 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 through the let's call it the default mode network being, you know, affected and taken offline and just kind of getting to the source of myself and really going like, whoa, there's way there's way more here. There's way more love that I could even handle. And yeah. and it took a lot of like work to get there, but it, it doesn't have to. Um but I had a lot of resistance and um now I, I try to just remind myself to return to that love. Return to that love and it's not easy. My mind wants to get back to the, the stories of my past and victimhood and all this stuff. Yeah. But, but coming back and recentering into that truth really has been helpful. And I need okay. reminders too. And I have reminders to do that. And sometimes that's through a conversation with a person. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, you know, uh, share that to be discreet about where I'm at today and, and bringing that part of my healing journey in. And um, I, I see that being beneficial for some.
0: Yeah, so, no, absolutely. Because it's beneficial for me right now because I, I, I don't do that. I don't do it at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I mean, I'm happy with where things are, mm-hmm. but I'm not happy really with myself because I'm still uh, sitting on all the negative things that I've done, and I can't. I'm not allowing myself to see myself positively. Yeah. Well, because there's also a, a payoff for that for doing that. There's a payoff for staying in the
1: negativity because it becomes a reward system for negativity. There's a mm. there's a book called. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza. It's an incredible book to look at the emotional addictions that we have that literally have brain chemistry. When we're negative, we have self-hatred or self-loathing. There's actually chemicals being released to reinforce that, and it becomes almost like a pleasure to be in the negative.
0: Yeah, okay. It's I can really interesting. I can, I can totally see that. Holy crap. All right. So, so before, before we go any further, I really want to show everybody – uh, uh your clip from your podcast real cool. quick. Yeah. I hope you don't mind yeah, watching don't mind. <laughs> listening cool. to yourself. Yeah. Um uh let's do this and, and big shout out to
1: uh Samuel Earp who um who is uh who created this this clip so so this is uh out.
0: Jesse's channel here on YouTube. You can find his audio uh episodes on Spotify and iTunes and then uh, this is the clip.
1: look in those few
0: moments. I it moved to tears in my eyes, and I remember thinking, this deep
1: time. Oh! on uh, faster speed or something? Yes! <laughs> That's how I listen to my podcast,
0: 1.5. You did? Oh, you got on two. Nice. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that.
1: For the whole time right came out and the way the world looked in those few moments i was moved to tears coming down my eyes and i remember thinking this deep sense of gratitude for all the pain and and, and hardship i've ever experienced in life because in a very visceral way i started to recognize that you cannot really know the light unless you first been in the dark
0: put their talent to work here and help build something incredible and then help them set goals and, and create an accountability plan for themselves and the team, and then just get out of the way. Right, just get out of the way. Let them do what they were born to do. The question that I ask people is, when did you stop
1: smiling? When did you stop dancing? When did you stop playing? And for me, it was that day. Being on that journey of recovery, I believe we're all in on that journey. It could be the recovery from the programming of this world, the programming of influences that really helped to shape who you are today and it doesn't mean you're not whole and that your essence is not beautiful and whole. It is, but we're on this journey. We're on this healing journey, in my opinion, to the end. So that's what this show is about. It's about bringing guests on to talk about holistic health, to talk about new views of addiction and trauma so that we can really empower ourselves to address the 100,000 plus lives that are dying from opioid overdoses every year,
0: I love I love all the uh, the 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 uh, camera actions there. It looks like you got some some footage from a drone. Yeah, that's all Suez Falls. So we were at yeah. Suez Falls in
1: Penicuik, and we uh, had uh, dr- Sam had the drone, and that's all from Suez Falls. That footage. It's really incredible. We shot it right in that spot, right there, one take, and you got all that footage and. Uh, yeah, we just shot little different clips and it was so much more than what we just shown you. There's like an hour worth of footage, but we you know, we get a lot of it out of there and, um, and I was just really blessed to uh, have Sam's eye and vision as a videographer. And then the guests, you know, the guests that I've had on are just like, oh my God, I'm just so grateful that they've been so vulnerable to open up about things that they've never talked about before. And that's kind of what I want to do on the show is I want to open up and normalize normalize this talk of addiction, normalize the talk of recovery, whatever that means for you. And so far the guests have, have really embraced that. So it's been great because a lot of them wouldn't even call themselves an entrepreneur recovery until they hear my definition of recovery. Like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm an entrepreneur recovery.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that was, that was the one thing that really got me is the way that you do define recovery. I was like, Oh, it, it you're right. It's, it's everything. It's everybody, you know, we're all, addicts in a sense it's just everybody's kind of dealing with something different but it's it, at the end of the day you you, you it, it's made for everybody you know yeah, and i really like that a lot i love this message i i like the fact that you're you're doing this i'm excited that you know you came on today and, and i am curious though um just to just just to go on a little bit um before we get out of here but what what psychedelic therapy have you done um like what, what, what did you do psychedelic therapy?
1: I have. Yeah. You have done, done it. I've done many psychedelics. Was it, was it
0: yeah. like, uh, I know there's ketamine therapy, psilocybin mushrooms are making their way into things. Like what was it? What was that like for you? Cause I know it's working yeah. a lot for, um, uh, PTSD, uh, yeah. veterans yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. PTSD.
1: So. so that's where we're going to see this become legal therapeutically in 2024, um, particularly MDMA-assisted therapy, yeah, um, because we're seeing these incredible results, undeniable results, peer-reviewed science of how that's helping for uh, PTSD. And um, it's actually like a breakthrough therapy in the FDA. Like so, or, uh, you know, so I... Yeah. So I just, uh, like I said, I did the research. I I hired a a psychedelic integration coach, someone who was actually in the 12 steps. It was weird. Like she was actually in recovery. I'm going to have her on my show and we're going to go through everything of the journey full, just fully. Um, but um, yeah it was just uh, it was just a calling I, I, and, and then eventually I you know I've done you know I've been to Costa Rica I've done ayahuasca I've oh done really peyote I've done all, many different oh, wow. things therapeutically psilocybin assisted therapy MDMA assisted therapy many of these different things and, um, and like I said it, it's not for everyone for me no. I, I wanted to be able to experience it to be able to speak to it because there's so many people that are being stigmatized for doing that especially people who are in like 12 steps and stuff yeah. and and and, and and one day it's gonna be just like they went and they're getting on an SSRI. It's not gonna be any different. They're right. they're doing psilocybin assist therapy. So that's I'm just I'm just kind of like going ahead of the game and I'm not the first. There's no. many people. Um, and it's been around since the fifties and sixties and they've had the, the the benefits there that all got burned and, and, and put to the flame when it became a war on drugs, but um, now that it's coming back and there was a lot of hysteria too back then, but, yes. but now it's coming back and we're really seeing the research and, and, and it, it's coming no matter what, whether you want it or not, or whoever, you know, gets triggered by this, but you know, I just wanted to see it from uh, a lens, uh, that was therapeutic and I'm, um, I'm still learning a lot. I'm a couple of years into it and, uh, there's a lot more research and time needed, but you know, I'm I've seen a lot happen for people closest to me and, um, and for myself and, you know, there's there's a lot of potential. A
0: lot yeah, of potential. a ton of potential because uh, one of the things that I do for myself is I microdose. Um, I, I I love I love microdosing uh, psilocybin mushrooms. I think they are absolutely amazing because when you microdose, you don't get these wild effects and you don't get almost anything. It's it, it's like it's like a, someone turned on the the brighter lights. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, everything seems brighter. Colors seem brighter. Um, It just allows my brain to kind of relax Mm -hmm. and, and get rid of all the demons and the yelling and the screaming that's going on in the background, like, all the time. But I just find it very therapeutic to to uh, do this from time to time. It's not like I'm doing it on a daily basis, but I do know plenty of people that do mm-hmm. microdosing on a daily basis. We got MMA fighters that microdose yeah. um, all kinds of people have been getting into the psilocybin. Uh, Massachusetts has uh, six districts that have uh, uh, decriminalized mm-hmm. mushrooms. Now you got Colorado who's completely legalized it. Um, it's becoming more and more and more. Um, but I find them, to be a very, very good tool Mm -hmm. for all of these things. And we were basically lied to my child, childhood about how awful these things Mm -hmm. are and how deadly because I don't find like, okay, there's been some people and I know some people that have taken way too much acid and they definitely Mm -hmm. fucked their brains Mm up. Um, But I used to dabble with that as well when I was a kid. I don't recommend that for anybody under the age of 25 today because now I understand what I did to myself. And I wouldn't want to see anybody else do that. But looking at it from a doctor to patient type of instead of the SSRI, maybe they could do this and that would help change the person. But nobody wants to talk about that because now you're putting down big farm.
1: Well, I think, you know, what we're seeing now is some of the, the research that's being done is people being on SSRIs and doing it. And yeah. so we're we're seeing these these new this new research emerge, and there's still more research to go. Um, but ultimately, like th- th- my hope is that I'm having people that I'm interviewing that are coming on my show that I've been aligned with and talked to that, um, are creating guides for people because it's It's a wild wild west right now yeah, because it it's illegal. There's people who are just not know what to do. They're, they're calling themselves charmans. yeah, I mean yeah. they're they're full, they're full of shame coming into doing this you know, they're, they're lost, they have having nervous breakdowns. And so I have people that are uh, creating guides. Like I have a friend named Vanessa and she is um, going to be a guest on the show too soon. So tune in. And she's created a microdosing guide for people in recovery. So people who are like, getting, you know, you can't bring that into the fellowships and stuff. It's, right. it's a relapse, but in, in, you know, to some it's a relapse, but some it's, it's a medicine. It's a sacrament. Yes. It's a thing that actually is helping them just like the SSRIs are helping them. So, um, you know, she's creating this guide. So that's the best thing I can say for the future is that I'm, you know, with people who have 17 years, 20 years of experience with addiction, with recovery and are creating guides for people so they don't get lost and leave the fellowship because of shame when they could just stay in if that's what their calling is or an, or not be in a fellowship but have a guide for this stuff. And that's really my hope is just helping people to have a guide and have some voices to bring some reason into this because there can be a panacea type oneness, this is the answer. Um, and I think that, no, it, it's it's another answer along with everything else because if you're not integrating your experiences that you're having in these you're just using drugs in many ways. Yeah. If you're not integrating what is experience in these journeys, it can become damaging and you can have destabilization and you can have PTSD from these experiences. Yes, now I'm not can. so much on microdosing but I'm saying right. these bigger experiences so having a trained guide as it becomes more accessible and decriminalized and then legal therapeutically and 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 having trained guides, which is what is happening, you know, we're gonna see a lot more safe containers being created. Yeah. Um, but people are doing it now. So what yes. do we do for those people now? It's harm reduction. So let's right. let's create the guides. Let's create the guideposts for people who are doing it now to reduce harm. And and those are the people that I'm bringing on and and any information I can provide in my journeys that I've been on, which I haven't talked about on the show too much yet, but I will start to talk towards them more, and uh, bring people in to talk about them because it's happening. We have to stop closing our eyes to the reality of what's happening and to see this is what's really happening. Let's stop this. It's really, really hurt us for a hundred years of just Mm -hmm. putting blinders on. And so let's take a look at what's actually happening. What is your child actually consuming? Like this stuff is happening and it's happening on so many levels. So let's just start having these conversations worth having because it's going to save lives especially in this space of psychedelic, uh, assisted therapy or medicines? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, 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 a thousand percent agree with you because I was on SSRIs. I was on Wellbutrin for over twenty years. I was put on an antipsychotic, a mood stabilizer, um, all because I was having um, uh, was what is that? Um, shoot, what's that thing where you have that split personality? Bipolar. bipolar. So I had bipolar tendencies. I was diagnosed with. Um and uh, I don't know what it, when I got off of alcohol is when I started realizing that the medications were not m- making me feel better, mm-hmm. but when I was on alcohol, I felt fine. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I, I get rid of all my medications, going through my doctor and my therapist, and it took two years to get rid of all those medications. So please, nobody out there, just stop taking your medications. I can't stress that enough. It's very dangerous. Um, But once I got through that, I was was hearing all of the the psychedelic type of therapies and stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to mess with acid because I had some really bad experiences with it um, by the time I stopped using it. But then... I was talking to my friend and he was like, dude, I've been, I've been reading up on all this mushroom stuff and checking it out. And he's like, I don't, I wouldn't want to see you get back to acid, but I think mushrooms is a safe route. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Maybe that's just me doing drugs again and making it okay for myself. But then I started reading into it and looking into it. And this is about four or five, maybe six years ago. And there wasn't as much knowledge as there is today, but I was l- reading about all these people microdosing and having uh better outcomes in, Being able to get through their shit, in a sense, to dub it down. Um, But so I started doing that and I started looking into it and I was like, oh, like everything for me started changing. And I was like, oh, this is way better than all the medications that they were pumping into me. And I'm getting a better outlook on my life from doing it. Um, but on the flip side of things, uh, I don't recommend if you're going to do any like it's not a party drug. Everybody wants to think of mushrooms as this party drug. And what I've noticed over the years is that most people who do mushrooms, if they do a giant dose of six, six grams or more, uh, they they are doing that like once a year. Right. And some people are doing it with, uh, um, you know, pe- people that are sober. Right. So I don't consider these to be party drugs at all. Like if you go to a party on six grams, you're going to have a horrible, horrible time. It's going to go so sideways. Even one gram. Uh, (laughs) True. Um, But the the heroic heroic dose, I believe, is six. Um, And when people hear that, they go, that's what I want to do. And it's like, well, I don't recommend that at all. Yeah. You know, know,
1: I, I think, you know, we need to approach this like we would anything else like approach it with intention respect and reverence yes and you know if you do that you will see if you're called to it and then if you're called to it then start really small and get a psychedelic integration coach if you can and, and and really take this slow and because what i've discovered specifically with like psilocybin is that it's going to humble you in a way that's scary. Mm-hmm. That if you, if you're like, well, I'm going to take a little more. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, because it's a truth. It shows you what you're not looking at. So yes. this isn't a party thing. Cause it's showing you what you're looking at and you're like, and you'll blame the medicine. Oh, I can't do those. And it's because it was showing you, you. Yes. And we don't want to look at ourselves. No. It's very, very uncomfortable. The way we're not taking care of our bodies, the way we're not taking care of our mental health. So that's what I found with that specific one. Yes, it's like a relationship medicine. It's just like, bam, here it is. You're not doing this with your spouse. You're not doing this with your partner. Here's where you can look at that, and it's really painful. You're not doing this with your children. Really painful. So that's what I found with that in time. And everyone has a different experience, but that's what I found with that particular uh, molecule, or you know, and and yeah. So it's really interesting to look at these things as drugs, and it's yes, just, because you did them in college and. 20 years right. ago but that's not what it is today you know we're, we're, we're seeing the, the 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 evidence-based um um you know what it can do for depression for creativity for things that it's like well that's a relapse for creativity why yeah. why do why? you use your coca-cola for creativity or to feel the sugar rush or the or the nicotine or the netflix or whatever it is that's getting you off like so I think that it's okay even if it's used for creativity like microdosing yes. but again be responsible do your research do it's all on you can go to YouTube and you can go to different I mean, places yeah. to start to do the research and you know start there that curiosity but in fact don't even start there start with meditation, start with breathing, start with taking 10 second cold showers, start with journaling, start with putting your feet in the grass every day. This is what I'm talking about. I did all this for over a decade and I'm not saying some people in extreme stress or in extreme anxiety, depression, PTSD and all this stuff and maybe they do need to get there faster. But for me, I took a lot of things before I ever said I was so against it and then eventually there was enough of the, oh my God, so many things led to one one after the other to me to go, fine, here we go, I'm ready. And I did it in a very structured way that people don't, there's people who hate the way I do things. It's very structured and I got routines and, but that's just the way I wanted to do it so I could speak to it. But I know people who are eight years in recovery from alcohol and drugs. And one day they just took two grams of mushrooms, went out in the woods and had this nightmare experience that turned Mm -hmm. into a beautiful experience after with the dragonflies and all these things. And then they came out of that and they had a whole new worldview of what this is about. And it's like, I, you know, I can't lie to myself and say that's not happening for people and it doesn't maybe happen to everyone, but you know, we can only speak from our own experience and, and I just say, you know, be really safe, be really cautious and, and, and do your research and, you know, be patient. But really start with these other habits and start there and see how you feel and journal that and see the results. Be the self-scientist. Check in with your inner weather and be like, okay, this is helping me when I just started to write three things I'm grateful for every morning. And then I went and had this um, time of meditation with my partner or myself. Like that is making a big difference. Let me start there. And then you start to stack habits on top of each other. That are good for you and you start to have a morning routine then you start to have a breathing routine during the day then you start to have a nighttime routine start there so that Mm -hmm. if you're ever going to come to these um psychoactive substances that are uh you know um the whatever psychedelic medicines then by the time you get to them you're going to have a nice integration foundation because it's all about the integration i don't care who it is and who i've ever talked to Everyone says the same thing. It's about the integration. And yes. It is. It's, it, even if you were doing a, a breathwork experience, you're going to have all these downloads. How are you going to integrate that? When you go to a personal development conference or a mastermind and you get lit on fire or you go to an AA meeting and someone lights your life on fire, what are you going to do afterwards? That's mm-hmm. the integration. Right. You were lit up. What happened to you? What was lit up? Was it your soul? Was it your mind? Was it your body? What are you going to do now with the information received? And so that's all I'm saying is, you know, you know, be smart. Integration is everything and, and, and take it for what it's worth, for what we're sharing and do your own research. And, but watch, you know, watch how to change your mind on Netflix, read the book, how to change your mind, read the psychedelic explorers guide, go into all these books, Yes. do your research, and then then make a decision and see if it's right for you.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, 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 like I was trying to, like I was saying is that, you know, you wanna whatever you're doing, you it's not a it's not a party thing, right? You wanna have somebody there that's sober, that's watching over you in case things go sideways, because it is making you look at yourself. And I've heard a lot of people say that about marijuana too, because one of the reasons that I do enjoy smoking is because every now and then I'll smoke and all of a sudden I'm just like, Oh shit, what and it, and I know it's just me going, Hey, Hey, look at this thing over here that you've been ignoring. And 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 let's bring it over here in front of your face and now now I need you to deal with this. And and that anxiety that dealing with yourself is sometimes very difficult and sometimes you look at it and you go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know that's there. It's not a big deal." But it's all about looking in inwards. Mm-hmm. Looking at yourself. And and I'm going to after after having this Uh, great conversation with you. I'm definitely going to try and uh, look at myself in a more positive way um, and try to let go of that negative because I do believe I hang on to it still uh, way too much today. You know, Um, I mean, I I do it with everything, you know, I I do it in my jujitsu. I do it at my job. Mm. Am I going to get fired tomorrow? Mm. I'm always in this. I'm not good enough mental state. Yeah. And, I'm starting to realize that I'm just doing that to myself. Yeah.
1: And look at the payoff of that. What are, what are you getting by being in that?
0: mindset? I'm just anxious all the time and I'm on edge and I have to, I, 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 I do this thing where I'm like, and what is that anxiety blocking? Yeah, what is that anxiety keeping you from? A lot. I believe it's yeah. keeping me from a lot. It's keeping me from allowing myself to grow from where I'm at now. Mm. I think it's actually blockading me and stopping me from doing it. And, uh, you know, I didn't I had never heard it put into those words or maybe I have and I ignored it, but I heard it today. So <laughs> so, Jesse, yeah. man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, everybody out there, you need to go and check out his YouTube page. Check him out on Spotify. He's also on iTunes. It's Entrepreneurs uh for recovery
1: entrepreneurs in recovery in
0: recovery my apologies uh go and check it out subscribe um also enjoy your thursday i hope you have a great rest of your weekend and as always i will talk to you later